0: No. This study of 1 John has to deal with what John writes about love. And to walk in His steps, Jesus' steps, means to understand love. There have been a number of very successful secular songs that deal with the topic of love through the years. Remember the Supremes, they sang, Stop in the Name of Love. The Beatles sang, All You Need is Love. The Doors sang, Hello, I Love You, Won't You Tell Me Your Name never quite understood that one. Whitney Houston saying, I will always love you. Remember the Partridge family? I think I love you. Bon Jovi says, you give love a bad name. And who can forget that deep theology of meatloaf when he's saying, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I put on your study guide the very first point, love is a choice that you make. Love is a choice that you make. We, we tend to think, we sing about love uh, like a feeling, something that overcomes you. But remember the, what Boston sang in the late 70s, and that is more than a feeling. Love really is an intentional choice that you make. We've been studying 1 John, and we're uh, looking at um, different passages, different thoughts, different themes. And what I want to do tonight is look in 1 John chapter 4, several verses that deal with love. And I want us to learn about love and, and how we can learn about God by studying about love. So, a couple of observations for our lesson tonight. The first one is this, love is how we know God. Love is how we know God. Open your Bibles to 1 John 7 and 8. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can pull one out of the rack in front of you. The verses are not going to be on the screen, but it would be good for you to follow along with us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. John writes, Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There may be some times where we realize we have an incomplete or maybe a shallow view of God, that maybe wherever we see love, we might equate that with God. Well, oh, while that might be a nice thought, even a comforting thought, technically it's, it's inaccurate or it's not um, complete. See, the world, we sometimes flip things around. Notice that John writes, God is love, but he doesn't write, love is God. And I think that's worth noting. And in a subtle way, sometimes we change the meaning of John's word in our culture and we try to craft God into something that he's not. Maybe that's because we're listening to our culture more than we're letting the Word transform us and really change us. Whenever you read a book, and especially if you like the book, you want to know about the author. You want to learn about them. So you'll turn to the inside of the back cover, maybe look them up because you appreciate what they write. And the same is true with Scripture. A lot of what we come to know about God, of course, is because we read His Word. That's how we know about Him. But we also know about Him through our experiences. Or maybe what we've been taught, and through that, what we've been taught, what we've learned, what we've hung on to. And so there are a lot of people think of God in different ways. You've heard of these before. Some think of God as a harsh referee. That, that idea that He's got the whistle and it's already in His lips and He's ready to blow it because He sees that you've already fouled out or you're offside. In some way, you're out of line. Others, when they think about God, they seem, like one author says, a detached inventor. He's the author. He created us. He made us. But he kind of moved on to other things and kind of forgot. So he's not involved with our life. And so he's not really attached to us. He's kind of been aloof. And we're on our own. Others tend to see God like a grandparent. A doting grandparent who gives good gifts and likes to spoil their grandchildren because that's what a grandparent does. But when it's time for them to leave after the visit, the weekend, whatever it is, they get back in the car and he passes the buck back to the parents. But I can say this, for people who see God as a grandfather or maybe just as someone who gives gifts or watches from a distance, I don't think you get that picture from Scripture. Not completely. Well, why are we spending so much time talking about how we view God? I thought we were going to talk about the love of God, as John writes about. Well, the reason why I want to do that is because there is a tendency to craft the God of the universe into who we want Him to be. And in this sense, it's kind of backwards, but it's like we're telling God who He is. And so in doing that, it kind of frames it in our mind, and that's how we think about Him but we put Him in a box. And when we do that, we are in control. But here's the danger. When you fashion God into who you want Him to be, or maybe all these other influences that tell us who God is, other things than Scripture itself, so if we've got this self-made mind about who God is, and then all of a sudden, things don't go as they should... We're going to be tempted to give up on this God that we've imagined, this God that we've crafted in our mind. We're going to say, you know, Christianity is not for me. I've been duped. It's all a hoax. Well, let me say this very gently. You weren't duped. Maybe you were deceived a little bit, but what happens is over time, we allow parents or maybe professors or friends or circumstances, life, events, to form our image of God more than Scripture. And sometimes that picture can be so different from the God that we read of in Scripture. And I think maybe to some degree we're all guilty of this. One author said this, God created us in His image, and we have returned the favor. I think he's right. But God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can bank on that. And that gives us encouragement, and that gives us confidence to know That who He is 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 who He is. We may not fully grasp it, but God doesn't change. So let's kind of understand what John is writing here. That we will come to God, as he's talking about here, as this loving Father. But even as we say that, if you put those two words to God, loving Father to describe our God, there are some who didn't have a loving earthly Father. So that concept is automatically a challenge it's very difficult for them to think about God as a loving Father. It's interesting. I was trying to study this some this week, and, and I came across this. I, I'd never noticed this before. In the Old Testament, the Bible does talk about God as being a Father. But it's only listed that way 15 times in all the Old Testament. In the New Testament, He is pictured as the loving Father but much more, 245 times. Isn't that insightful? This new revelation, this new testament, this testament of Jesus Christ, His Son, gives us that picture over and over again, 245 times of God as our personal God, this loving Father. And so this name of God, it stresses his, his loving care, His attention, His devotion, His discipline, His provision. And that's how we need to know God as this personal, this loving Father. Because if you know Him that way and think of Him that way, then that's going to affect how you relate to Him. That's going to affect how you respond to Him. There in your Bibles, 1 John 1.8, John writes, God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God. So this is the, the passageway. Love is the passageway to understanding who God is. And so it's important that we get this. Well, here's the second observation. Love is how we see God. Love is how we see God. Look, look in your Bible, the very next verse, 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and send His Son as atoning sacrifice for our sin. The whole idea, the concept of love originated with God. He loved us, John writes, before we loved Him. And Jesus coming to earth was the only time that we actually were able to see God in bodily form. In a sense, Christ came to earth being the full representation of who God is. God was made real in a tangible sense he was visible. And when we love others, we can still see that same love alive in our world. God showed us to love us. God showed his love to us through Jesus Christ. I read in the paper today, maybe you did as well. I think it was Ann Landers or Dear Abby. I'm not sure what it's called these days, but there was a person who wrote as a employee of a nursing home. And they were... um, commenting about how many people come to do good and to visit between Thanksgiving and December, but about this time of year, those visits kind of fall off, and they were writing that the people there still need that same care and devotion in February, as well as May or August, and I thought that's so insightful, because we can all fall into that way of thinking. You know, we love Christmas. We love our birthday. You know, we we get the cards. We get the attention. We get the accolades. and, And there's something good about that. But what if you're not shown love every day? See, those are only good if you get that love every day. I think God would be even more pleased if loving became a second nature. If it was routine. And we didn't have to have a holiday to tell us to love people. Or to even show our love. It's just part of being in their world. It's a part of being a loving person. Sometimes we face things at home or or maybe at work and we say to ourselves, well, somebody else will take care of it. That's somebody else's job. I don't need to get involved. Somebody else will do it. Whether it's maybe a a menial task that you feel is beneath you or maybe it's something really big and you know that's not your responsibility. We kind of have a hands off. You know, that's not for me. Somebody else will do that. Maybe it's just a little piece of litter. And instead of reaching down to pick it up, what we might even say is, ooh, somebody needs to get on that. Somebody's dropped the ball. I wonder how many times God just has to shake His head when we have that kind of attitude. I wonder if those opportunities, if I can use that word, are not just there to to test us and truly see if we've got this, if we understand this, that we can intentionally choose. Remember, love is a choice to be God's hands, to be God's feet. How would that radically transform the way we approach every day? So First John reminds us that time and again, love is how we see God. Jesus came to earth so people could see God. Christ Himself said in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And every day we can see a reflection of what that looks like. And in a way allows us to have a glimpse of God. I thought about that and I thought I see God I see God when parents go to all the trouble and expense to adopt a child and their first their overriding goal is so that child can come to know God. That's huge. I see God when a family looks out for a neighbor. I think of a young widow who was just saying recently that these cold, cold, dark mornings, her neighbor will come up to the house, grab the garbage can, and roll it out to the curb on garbage day. I see God and our team going to Peru to use their skills, to take their time off from work, to go and try to be Jesus to people who don't even know they're lost, to personally go and to encourage those missionaries. I see God in a young couple taking in a foster child to open what is most sacred. Our home. With someone who needs love. With someone who's not experienced that with their own mother and father. We can see God in so many things. When Jesus ascended to heaven, He made provision for everyone who placed their trust in Him to experience God. And love is how we know God. Love is how we see God. And number three, love is how we follow God. Look there in the text, 1 John 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word that's translated ought to literally means obligated, indebted. It's not. It's a good idea. Or when you mature, or when you get out on your own, or when you get it all together, it's, it's a must. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. What John writes here, no one has ever seen God, but the second point of this whole lesson is that we see God. So which one is it? Well, I think we see in our world today they are representations of the characteristics of God. He loved, so we love. And love is our response. And once we know Him, once we understand what John is writing here, we read it throughout Scripture, we start to see that He's working in the world and He's doing it through His people. But we need to acknowledge that it's not automatic. You don't just sign up one day and then you've got it down pat. You don't just become a Christian and all of a sudden you are now a loving person from this day forward. We may want to. We may desire to. But again, we're not even consistent. Way too many people give up walking with the Lord because they kind of wake up or as the Bible says, they come to our senses and they realize they got sidetracked and, and they sinned and they blew it. Maybe they got on the wrong road. And they just think there's no hope. They're so aware of their sin and they they're, they're feel guilty but their response is clouded and they tend to give up on God. Remember what John wrote? We we shared this earlier. If you say you have no sin, you are, do you remember? A liar. Strong language. We need to acknowledge that we do have sin. But sometimes when we are aware of sin, we just want to quit and give up. Paul wrote openly about the struggle with sin. And I wish every child of God would know this. Listen to Romans 7, beginning of verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Then verse 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my, within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you glad Paul wrote that? That as Christians we still struggle with this we have to understand, yes, we strive to walk in the light, to do what's right in His steps, but there will be times where we get sidetracked. We're on the wrong path, where we blow it. That's why Christ came to show us the way, to help us get back on that narrow road. Again, love is a choice. I wish we would think about that every time we use the word love, but Usually we don't, because again, just like our culture, we kind of default to the love songs, and it's really more like a feeling. I think we all understand the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and the, the Greek language is, is very um, detailed and, and specific. And whenever you study the, the, the word love, it's a, a great example of that. I want to share just a little bit, just a, kind of a review for all of us. Because in English, we can say love and we can mean a lot of different things. I can say I love my wife and I love my kids and I love pizza and I love uh, the beach. But you see, what that does, that puts my wife thinking, how do I relate with pepperoni and cheese? You know, it's, it, it's we use that word in the context. I think we know what we mean. But in the Greek language, there was no guessing. I think you've heard these words before, but just real quickly, you may want to write them down just for a reminder for yourself. I want us to look at the four main words that, that are in our New Testament Bibles that refer to love. The first word is eros, E-R-O-S, eros. Eros is an intense term. It's, it describes that strong physical desire. It describes the passion. It's the, it's the sexual attraction. We, we get the word erotic from the word eros. And I like to describe Eros as this. It is, I love you if. it's I love you if. If you look a certain way, if you make me feel a certain way, then I will love you. And it's purely based on feelings. It's a very conditional love. Now sometimes we might use that word and think we mean more, but when the feelings shift, when they make us angry, what we realize is this may be exactly what we have because it's based on a feelings, not commitment. There's two other words in the Greek language that, that describe love and use for love, and they're very similar. Phileo and storge. You've heard of phileo. P-H-I-L-E-O and storge. S-T-O-R-G-E. Now, storge is the affectionate. It's the social love. It's, it's the friendship. It's the people you enjoy being with. It carries with the idea of working at it and making it into a great relationship. The other term, phileo. And they're similar. It's, it's more like a close friend. It's love that comes from your, your immediate family. If you're like me, I think of the, uh, the city of Philadelphia and it's nickname, the city of brotherly love. So this love is somewhere between conditional and unconditional. And I categorize both of these as I love you because. I love you because of what you do for me. I love you because you're part of my family. I love you because you're part of my inner circle of friends. You're my BFF. This is what we're talking about here. I love you because you scratch my back, and because you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I love you because we're family. And you go out of your way for me. So I'll go out of my way for you. That's what a I love you because looks like. The fourth word, and you're already ahead of me, you know it, it's agape love. It's the unconditional love. It it is to be the defining trait of a Christian. And regardless of whether this love is reciprocated uh, or returned, it's still given. In fact, it's freely given. It's generously given because that's what it is. That's what defines it. It's this unconditional love. See, while the others are I love you if or I love you because agape love, this unconditional love is I love you in spite of. Well, that's the end of Greek class. No test. Except I want to ask this question. Which word do you think John used when he writes about love in 1 John? It's agape. You knew that already. Maybe that's because it's the same word that Jesus would say and John would record in his gospel John 13 verse 34 and 35 a new command i give you agape one another as i have agaped you so you must agape one another by all this all this by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have agape this unconditional love for one another in other words if you love the unlovely, the one that everybody else in the office or at school seems to hate or look down upon or be a, a pain. If you have affection for those who are ignored, those who are rejected, those who are vulgar, those who are dishonest, those who are greedy. It's just hard to love those kinds of people. But agape love does. If you can bring yourself to love those people the world's going to sit up and notice that because nobody else even likes them. And there you are given this unconditional love not even expecting them to reciprocate. That's loving like Jesus. And that's what He's saying here. And throughout the book of 1 John, John is using family language. He's calling them beloved or He's calling them children or, or dear children. It's family. And together, all of us who belong to Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, why are we going to such extremes to talk about love in this chapter? Why does he do this? Well, if you study the background, what's happening? The Gnostics were having a heyday, spreading a, 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 a false doctrine that you couldn't really know God unless He came to you specifically, appeared to you. So John writes to contradict this Gnostic teaching. You can know God. Because God is love. And you can experience Him through loving other people. Love is the passageway to knowing God. Agape is not necessarily a love of passion Again, that that we think about. Love is not a love of passion. It is a love of choice. It is a decision. It is intention. It's getting out of your comfort zone and saying, I'm not the greatest gift in the world, but God loves me, so in turn... I'm going to love others and do the right thing. I think it was Cal Thomas that said, love, talked about, is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. And I think he's right. John says God is love. He loves us even when we don't deserve it. And we walk in love. We live this kind of life that Jesus lived. And sometimes that goes against our nature, just like Paul wrote. Sometimes we don't feel like it. As soon as we know what we ought to do and we do just the opposite, we're just like the world. But love for others is evidence of Jesus living in us and us living in Him. And God modeled the way. God loved us first, John writes about, in spite of what we do, in spite of who we are, in spite of our own struggle with pride or or greed or insecurity or, or whatever our sin may be, God loves us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do I even have to ask, what is the Greek word in John 3.16? We know, don't we? It's agape love. It couldn't be anything else. You wouldn't give up your one and only Son for a moment of passion. Or just some people, well, you're family and so I have to love you. That's not at all. Or because you did this for me, therefore I'm going to do that for you. This is not a reciprocation kind of love. This is a love unconditional. It's agape love. Remember that 245 times I mentioned where God is depicted as a father? Let me share one of those. Romans 8.15 Paul says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. One author said that when he was in Israel, he was just on the streets one day and he noticed a little boy going up to his dad saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. That was just what He called Him. That was His name. And that's the relationship we can have with our Heavenly Father, knowing that He's just that. He's a Father. He's a loving Father. Because when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you are adopted into His family. He makes you a part of His kingdom. And He gives you His unconditional love so that you can spend the rest of your days passing that on to other people. I want to close with this. I want to read a familiar passage to you. You know it. You could probably quote it with me. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13. But I want to encourage you maybe close your eyes, maybe bow your head, and just listen to these words afresh. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. You can open your eyes. And I hope when you hear the words straight from Scripture, what you see is Jesus Christ with His hands outstretched from the cross saying to you that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I love you. I've given my life for you. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to be a part of this kingdom. I want you to be a part of the family. But you have to accept it. You have to accept the love. The love is there, but you have to receive that. It's a love in spite of. And it's the very thing we all need. We're going to sing a song to encourage you to think about your own spiritual condition. If we can pray for you just to love like Jesus, Maybe the song will encourage you to come forward and one of our elders can say a special prayer for you. Or maybe there's just a struggle. Maybe it's a lack of faith that keeps you from loving the way Jesus did. Or if we can help you the name, the name of Jesus, help you with your baptism once you comes with will stand and sing to encourage you.